Hello and welcome to the Tub Talk Sports Podcast. I am your host, Donovan Place, and I am joined here by my co-hosts, Ben Schmidt and Colin Hansel. The first topic I want to get to is the latest Thursday night football. Giants versus the Eagles. And boy, this was the perfect NFC East football game. I, I think, if we're, I think uh, regarding this game, we got to talk about um, got to talk about Danny Dimes. <laughs> As a person that was forced to start Daniel Jones in fantasy last night due to unfortunate circumstances, I mean, I was pleased with the, the twenty point effort he gave me. It would have been it would have been more if he could have finished off the end of that eighty yard run, as we all know and saw over Twitter. But I think what you said, Donovan, the perfect NFC East matchup. I think that's exactly the way you describe it. Like, there's nothing else on, so you flip it on. But did any of us really want to sit through that? I know it was a good game, but this is like – it's it's two terrible football teams. I would be willing to watch even a Redskins-Giants game every Thursday night. Washington football team. Oh, my bad. My bad. I don't mean to offend our viewers out there. The Washington – I would watch Washington – and the Giants duel it out every Thursday night if I could. Yeah, I think I think it's pretty much set in stone. Whatever team out of the NFC East can win the most games outside of their division is going to end up winning their division. I think, ironically, with the tie the Philadelphia Eagles had is going to help them a heck of a lot. And I think – the Eagles are eventually going to win that division. Carson Wentz, even though he struggled at the beginning of the year, the last couple of weeks when I've watched Carson Wentz, he has turned on full running back mode. He is diving every time he rushes. He is taking hits. I love to see it, but the play calling out of Doug Peterson, uh, excuse me, out of Doug Peterson, especially on those two-point conversion calls, those are questionable because those are terrible play calls. Oh, we all know how awful the NFC East is. Everybody knows it. Everybody talks about it. But isn't it just terrible that the Philadelphia Eagles are probably going to get a home playoff game? They're going to host a team like the Rams or the 49ers. The Packers. The Chicago, yeah, Bears are the Packers. And they will most likely get boat race in any of those games. Oh, yeah. And we're going to see videos of Eagles fans fighting whoever the hell they end up playing because those are scumbag Eagle fans. And you got to give Wentz some credit because, I mean, as much as I want to just bash in the past few weeks, he's had – he has played decent – and he's had who to work with, Greg Ward Jr. and uh, Travis Fulgham. I mean, he has, no, he has no Miles Sanders. He has no Zach Ertz, no Goddard. He just got Jackson back. He hasn't had Jeffrey or Rieger. And Jackson, Jackson got, got hurt the last Yeah, Jackson time. got hurt the other one. Oh, he's back on the IR. And the so offensive line is terrible, too. It is. And I think what Wentz is doing is actually quite impressive. Well – it's not going to get any better either just because think about who 
if we're just going to talk about the Eagles here, think about the teams we, that they play. It's the AFC North, which I know they've already played three out of four teams in that division, but the Browns are going to put up a fight against the Eagles, even if I'm not still on the Browns bandwagon yet, but I don't think they're terrible either. But anyway, they already lost the Steelers, they lost the Ravens, and they tied the Bengals. That doesn't give me any hope there. And then they're playing the NFC West as well. So those are two very good divisions. NFC West is one of the best in football. So does, do you really see any team in the NFC East beating either of those two divisions? Which is, we saw Carolina a couple years ago and then Seattle back in 2010 make the playoffs at under 500. I seriously think this could be another year where we see whoever wins that division is is worse than 8-8. Eight eight. I think they can get in at, what, like they have a tie, right? So I think they can get in at like 6-9-1. and one. I agree. I agree. I a seven win team wins this division, and that's absolutely crazy to say. The Cowboys are awful, especially without Dak. I wasn't on the Cowboys bandwagon going into the year like a lot of other people were, because on paper their offense was just loaded. Well, the and, offense isn't the problem. Sorry to interrupt you, but the offense right, right. Is the and I mean, with Dak going out, it's just crazy to me how. Andy Dalton is attempting 60 passes a game. But that's besides the point. The Cowboys' defense is atrocious. And you look at it, the loss of Byron Jones obviously hurts them a lot. But on paper going into the season, you still got guys like the Marcus Lawrence, Leighton Van Der Esch, and you thought that this could be a middle-of-the-pack defense. It has been atrociously bad. Well, them having no secondary really hurts them because, like you said, if they, all, all they needed out of that defense was to be middle of the pack because the offense was so good. And I'm sure most people, like myself, kind of thought, okay, their front seven has a bunch of good players. Like, if they can just generate a pass rush, it can maybe make up for the fact that they have zero secondary. But that hasn't happened, and teams are just exposing that secondary. And even that, the front seven has not lived up to expectations. Like, we saw the Cleveland Browns without Chubb for most that game. It was Ernest Johnson and Kareem Hunt just completely take over that game on the ground. Like, we thought that they would be able to stop the run because they had a good front seven. That has not happened. Right, and it's just like – oh, you can go. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, it seems like Ezekiel Elliott has just been a complete non-factor this year. Obviously, he's still like – he hasn't been Ezekiel Elliott. Um, and I think part of the fact is he's not getting nearly as many carries as he probably has been the past few years. Uh, Mike McCarthy obviously airs it out 60 times a game. Um, and Zeke's just getting – I look at the box score and I see him get 12 to 15 carries. And this is a guy that I think should be getting 20-plus. But he, especially uh, last Sunday, he had, what, two fumbles? Yep. I think – I think he has four or five lost fumbles on the year, and he's never had more than two in a season. Yeah. And the fact that you also got to look at is now Andy Dalton, although it was only one game, one start for the Cowboys, they played the Arizona Cardinals. And the Cardinals, terrible defense as well as the Cowboys. I mean, the Cardinals' last two seasons have basically been referred to as a Pac-12 football team. And they have absolutely no defense and, you know, excuse me, big Big 12, not Pac-12, Big 12 football team. And they have no defense whatsoever, and yet the Cowboys could only put up 
one garbage time touchdown. Absolute that demolition. gives me that gives me big concerns with Andy Dalton. I have to see more out of Andy Dalton for this Cowboys team to now even compete in the worst division in football. And let's not forget, I don't, we haven't even brought up the fact that this Cowboys team shouldn't even have two wins. If Atlanta just remembers how to recover an onside kick, they have one win. And the only other win was a very close win against the New York Giants. So just the the, the Cowboys are two two to three plays away from not having a win at this point. Agreed. All yeah, right. I mean, it's tough. Our next segment now is the World Series. As of tonight, the Los Angeles Dodgers now lead the series two to one behind a six to two win behind Walker Buehler pitching a gem, Justin Turner having a couple extra base hits. What a game for those two players. Yeah, tonight was a lot more of what we saw in game one. Um, in game two, the Tampa Bay just – the pitching was lights out, especially the bullpen. I, I think we've all seen the stats of when Tampa Bay is seventh inning later with the lead, their bullpen just lights out. But this, this game tonight was a lot more like game one. L.A. got out to a lead early. Dallas were up um, 5-0 at one point. And Walker Buehler was dominant. Ten strikeouts in six innings is – the dude just stud. The dude is, is truly a stud. Agreed. Yeah, I feel like when L.A. gets out to a lead like that, there's, there's no coming back. I feel like well, you say uh, the same yeah. for both sides. Yeah, both teams. Both teams – I'm not sure what both teams' records are. But when both teams score the first run in whatever game they're playing, their record is insane. And we've seen it not only in the series, but throughout the postseason with every team. What team ends up scoring first ends up winning the game. So the first inning – I'll say the Rays do have the best – Winning percentage this season when scoring in the first inning. That is a fact. Exactly. So when you look at the uh, game four starters, Julio Urias for the Los Angeles Dodgers and the uh, Ryan Yarbrough for the Tampa Bay Rays, what do we think so far for the um, potential? I definitely see this as more as a bullpen game for both sides. Obviously, um, the Rays use that strategy we know a ton, but a lot of times this this postseason for the Dodgers as well. When it's not Kershaw or Bueller going to the mound, we see them go to their bullpen early as well. Especially when it's Urias who's who's pitched both out of starting rotation and the bullpen. So I think this is true a game where we will see it gets the bullpen early and. I think just like every game in the series, I think whoever gets the first first run is going to win the game, and it's it's tough. But Rice, I think the Rays got to go. Sorry, Thomas. Rice has been pretty outstanding this whole postseason. I, I think he's only had three appearances, but his last appearance, I believe, was in Game Seven. He went. Uh, he finished out the game three innings, no hits, no walks. Uh, he also pitched against the. Uh, Padres five innings. He let up one hit. He was pretty lights out the whole, um, the whole start. So he's going to be tough to hit for sure. Um, and then they got Yarbrough on the other side. I kind of, I kind of like the Dodgers in this one. 
Um, maybe that's a little biased, but. I will admit. My only issue with um, the Dodgers pick for starting Urias is that Urias hasn't started a postseason game this year. All of his appearances have been out of the bullpen. And I think that can make a little bit of a difference starting the game. Now, whether he only goes three, four innings max, because they're probably end up going to use them later on in the series if the series gets extended, we're going to see that Dodger bullpen. And if you compare the Dodgers bullpen to the Rays bullpen, they are very similar. But the Rays bullpen has had a lot more action and there are both pros and cons to both of that. The Rays bullpen so far this postseason has been lights out, but they have been worked a ton. It's it's really interesting for me because I honestly thought the Rays had a shot to be upset in the American League side of the bracket. Like coming into the National League side of the playoffs, for me at least, it was something insane would have to happen for the Dodgers not to come out of the NL because they just looked like a powerhouse all season long. And something crazy almost did happen. The Atlanta Braves almost took them down, which is which is wild to think about just because the, the Dodgers' all-around roster is so good. I, for me, it was kind of like there's no way this team should not end up in the World Series. On the other side, for the AL, even though the Rage are the number one seed, I still had plenty of doubts because the AL from top to bottom just had some really good squads. I mean, the White Sox, they lost in the first round. But as the seventh seed, that team with a week to go in the MLB regular season was the one seed. So I feel like the Dodgers should be the favorite. I know they're up 2-1. But it's just going to be tough for me the rest of the way to pick against the Dodgers. I mean, to me, this is an absolute must-win game for Tampa. Because looking ahead to Sunday night, you're looking at potentially another Kershaw-Glasnow matchup. Um, we know how dominant Kershaw was in game one. He went six innings, two hits, one run, and eight strikeouts. Glasnow has kind of struggled the whole postseason. So I think if the Dodgers are able to go up 3-1, you're, yeah, I, I think it's just meant to be Sunday night. I agree. This has got to be a, a winner-go-home game for the Rays. I feel like they are going to get in their bullpen early. You're going to see Nick Anderson, who – I think hands down has been the best guy out of the bullpen in all of MLB this season. You're going to see him early. You're going to see him in the fourth or fifth inning. The same exact thing with Diego Castillo. You're going to see him in either the fourth or fifth inning in a runners on base situation to try and shut down the Dodgers from winning this game. I think we can all agree here that, Clayton Kershaw is just one of those good guys in sports. Like, I think we all want to see him get a ring. Like, we may not be Dodgers fans, but just how much um, how much Clayton Kershaw has struggled in the postseason, I think we'd all just love to see him get over that like he did in game one. And he's one of those guys. There's, there's guys on every team in every sport, but he's one we just want to get a ring. You know, if he can – if he can uh... – if he could potentially um, close out the series Sunday night with another dominant performance like that, I think that narrative of him um, being a choker or underperform underperforming in the postseason, I think that just vanishes. 
I think that would I think this dominant postseason would be enough to um to put him over the top in that regard. Agreed. If you look at his postseason starts, most of his postseason starts have actually been very good starts. A lot of his not so good games were earlier in his career against mostly like the St. Louis Cardinals, where his team was not favored to win those games, even though he was still the best pitcher in baseball. The Cardinals were favored to win those games, and his offense just let him down, and two, three, four runs won those games for the Cardinals. He's also been put in some unfair situations. Like, we've seen him have to try and come out of the bullpen a couple times. He did last year against the Nationals, and as a starter and being a great of a starter he is, I feel like so there's just points when Don Mattingly was a manager and now with Dave Roberts where because he's so good, they try and use him so much, and that's kind of not really fair to him to be put in situations like that. Agreed. All right, so for our next segment, we're going to move on to college football. Now, obviously, big news this week, the Big Ten is back. And I know for you guys – I am very excited as well as you guys, and I cannot wait to see my Golden Gophers try and win the Big Ten. The Golden Gophers? Yeah, yes. can I ask where, where the love for the Gophers come from? Where did that come from? I have always been a sleeper Gophers fan. PJ Fleck, oh, if you watch his interviews, his videos – I don't think there's another coach in college football outside of maybe Ed Ogeron, Coach O, got to love Coach O, maybe Saban, maybe Dabo. Other than that, you put P.J. Fleck in that conversation, I want to run through a fucking wall every single Saturday when I take the field. So you're a big fan of the sweater vest. Yes. I totally get the love of Fleck. Sorry. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I think I think with Fleck, the players really bought in last year with the whole row the boat thing and just the kind of resurgence of, of Minnesota last year back in contention and hopefully for the future. I think I think he's a really good coach. I may not be a Minnesota fan, but I can definitely appreciate what he did for that college. Like they, it was clear to see they bought in when they had big wins last year, like the one over Penn State at home. Like the dude, the dude no, definitely. I've never been the biggest. Uh, P.J. Fleck fan, but he did change the culture there. That win over Penn State was huge last year. They got a good quarterback, Tanner Morgan. I like Tanner Morgan. Um, I think think he's easily the most underrated quarterback in all college football. I think he's in that discussion for sure. And they got Rashad Bateman back. Uh, Did he originally opt out? I think so. I'm not 100% sure. I, I'm I'm pretty sure he's back. They got Bateman back. They did lose Tyler Johnson to the draft last series in Tampa did, now. Which sinks. Um, but they do have their entire offensive line returning. Oh, yeah. So I think that is a big plus. Their defense, though, they did lose a lot of guys on defense. But if you look last year, their defense last year was very, very bad. And I think they are. it can also be a plus losing a bunch of those guys that ended up costing them. They have some massive offensive linemen. They if we are... want to talk about Minnesota, like they're going to get their first test right away. They're prime time tomorrow night. Game day is going there. So 
we're going to see right out the gate the three three point underdogs. But yeah, yeah, uh, they got a big home game. Uh, you're right. I think they're the ABC game with uh, Fowler and Herb Street. Um, I think they're I think they're up for that test. Yeah, I'm obviously being an Ohio State fan all my life. Not ever gonna have any respect for Michigan, especially not with Harbaugh there. So I'm sorry. I, I feel like I feel like it's not. I feel like it's fair to say that they're not gonna go anywhere with Harbaugh. Um, Michigan's ranked 18th. Here's what's gonna happen. Michigan will probably start out the year three or four and one, and the committee, like always, is going to move them into the top ten, and then they'll have an embarrassing loss in the middle end of the season, and then they won't be heard from again. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, yeah, Michigan does have a couple tough games in their first uh, four games, though. They have Minnesota. They do play at Indiana week three, and I think Indiana is going to be a decent team this year. They start off with I Penn think State Indiana's this a- it's going to be a decent sleeper to sneak into the at least top 25 yeah. this year. I'm not picking them over Penn State this week, but that that will be on that will be an upset watch. You got to keep an eye on that one. Interesting. Interesting. Penn State there Penn State's only favored by 6 in this game. It's a 2:30 on Fox Sports. I have to tune in. All right, but if you look also at the SEC, the if you look at the SEC, oh. Alabama has been on a roll. But the big thing with the SEC this year is that the defenses have been underperforming a lot. Do you think we will end up seeing that in the Big Ten? Or do you think we're going to see the normal Big Ten football run the ball, good defense? I think Big Ten, it's, it's going to be the Big Ten. You just pound the rock, hard-nosed defense. Um, I, especially with these – Iowa, Wisconsin, I mean, they're – Ohio State, Michigan, you're just going to see that consistency with their defense year in and year out. They all are, they're all um, very talented on the defensive end. They all have good defensive coordinators. Um, maybe I'm just being a little biased, but Iowa, they don't, they don't even have a lot of their um, starters back from last year, but I have so much trust in their defensive coordinator and he's just consistently over the years put together great defenses. Um, so I, I'm i expecting a lot of unders in the Big Ten this year. Interesting. I think I, I wouldn't be surprised if it takes a week or two because so little preparation, obviously with the pandemic, um, the way they've been able to train and practice has been different. But I would completely agree that once, once it takes a couple weeks for defenses to get back into the swing of things, then it'll go back to be normal Big Ten football. Um, I thought the same thing with the SEC at first, though. I was kind of like, oh, okay, it's just because they haven't been able to practice. It'll be back to the same normal SEC defense after a couple weeks. So far, that has not changed. Um, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with the same, the same thought, and I think Big Ten football will see the pound of rock defense-style gameplay. It just might take a couple weeks to get into it. And um, some of the matchups we got tomorrow, like Ohio State being 27-point favorite, stuff like that, I think it's going to lead to defenses looking bad, but it'll get there. I just yeah. want to say I think Ohio State is going to blow Nebraska out of the water. They are going to destroy Nebraska. And I also wanted to just point out that the SEC has a lot of um, offensive firepower this year, like with Florida, um, Kyle Trask is an outstanding um, 
Kellen Mond with A&M, even Ole Miss putting up a ton of points on Alabama. They, I mean, they got Lane Kiffin. He's an offensive genius. Um, right. All these schools really have a ton of offensive talent this year. So that also does factor into it. Right. And I do want to mention the game that was played tonight, Illinois and Wisconsin. Wisconsin just put on a, I mean, demonstration of what Wisconsin football is. They run the ball. They play good defense. Wisconsin defense pitched a shutout. Illinois only got a touchdown on a fumble six, which was a questionable call when I was watching. But Graham Mertz, um, if I'm pronouncing it, huh? He he was yeah, phenomenal. He was phenomenal. He was twenty of twenty-one with five touchdown passes. That was insane. And I know this is one of the best quarterbacks Wisconsin's had in a long time. But he has got to be a Heisman favorite at this point. Redshirt freshman. Redshirt freshman. That's pretty outstanding. And their quarterback. I believe their starting quarterback, Jack Cohn, is um, injured right now. Yeah. Uh, their senior quarterback. And I do expect him to start when he comes back. But we could have a little quarterback controversy here. And you love to see that out of the Big Ten. Love to see that. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest. Graham Mertz, it was one game, like you said, 20 for 21, five touchdowns, four in the first half. Um, if Wisconsin uh, gets their offense going like this every week, although it was Illinois, um, that's a scary sight to see, especially since this dude has four years of eligibility still. Exactly. Yeah, talking about merch, also I the- think when you're a kid dreaming up um, making, your, making your debut on a football field, I don't even think you dream of going one in completion good. Like that was just on another level. Exactly. All right, so we're going to move into our next segment, the NFL preview for Sunday. We have a lot of good games. We have the undefeated, both Steelers and Titans. Guys, what do you think is going to come out of this game? Well, I think that's definitely one of the games of the week. Um, I was a little bit surprised when they decided to flex um, Tampa Bay, um, Vegas out of prime time, that that game wasn't considered to be flexed into it. Um, I obviously don't know where I went into that decision, but you would think two undefeated teams would be a pretty good time for matchup. But anyway, I think the Steelers are going to have to do a lot more through the air than they did last week. Obviously, it's a lot, a lot harder matchup than Cleveland was, but I could totally see this game getting into a shootout. We saw Tennessee get into a shootout last week with Houston, and it took a touchdown by A.J. Brown just to send it into overtime. But I think we're going to see two quarterbacks tomorrow put up – or on Sunday put up some really, really big numbers. I think although as good as Derrick Henry is, I feel like Tennessee is going to probably rely more on their passing game for this one. Um, even though both teams have had pretty good defense performances, I think just the way these teams are rolling right now and and how good the quarterbacks look, I think it's going to, it's going to end up being a shooter. I think that show with the line being 51 right now, so – I, th- I think this easily has the makings of each team getting to the high 20s, low 30s. Yeah, Tennessee has played a lot of close games this year. They obviously um, – that Tuesday night game against Buffalo, um, that was pretty much a blowout. They really outperformed Buffalo. They got Josh Allen uncomfortable. But every other game has really been close. They beat the Vikings by one. They beat the Jags by three, Denver by two. 
And I mean, this week against Houston, um, I'll give them a little bit of a pass on that because Houston is a good team. They have Deshaun Watson, maybe not a good team, but they're still dangerous with him. And they're coming on a short week where they had to play a Tuesday night game. So coming into this week, they're going up against um, Steelers team with, I believe that is number one in uh, total defense scoring this year. Um, they've been very impressive. They blew their division rival Browns out last week. Um, I kind of, I kind of am leaning towards Pittsburgh in this game. Uh, as amazing as Tannehill has been this year, I think when it comes down to it at the end, I like Big Ben making the big plays, and uh, I think the Steelers are going to come out on top. I do want to make a point that the star and starting left tackle for the Titans, uh, Taylor Luan, tore his ACL out for the season. And the Steelers are known, especially with this new core on defense, for having a very good front seven with Bud Dupree and TJ Watt. That could make a very big defense and not only the run, but the pass rush, you know, for the Steelers against the Titans. Now for the next game, for the next for the next game, I would like to highlight it would be the game that got flexed out of prime time: the Buccaneers and Raiders. Now I think this is a very interesting game. Derek Carr, even though he has been very, you know, how do I how else do I put this? But he's been shit on throughout his career for you know. The Raiders that one year were very close to making the playoffs, and with a bad injury Derek Carr had, kind of set the Raiders back a couple of years. Derek Carr has now gotten back to that level, and Derek Carr has been basically the anti-Kirk Cousins and been very good in primetime games. I know this is no longer a primetime game, but the Buccaneers are a very good opponent the Raiders, I think, might be able to have a shot against the Buccaneers. Now, this game really worries me, um, mainly because of the whole COVID situation going on right now. Obviously, Trent Brown tested positive. Um, Jonathan Abram has also been By the way, out. Trent Brown, great tattoo. Great tattoo. I don't know if you guys what? saw that. Great tattoo. He has that a tattoo. Is, that is an all-time football tattoo. He has a tattoo of a girl sucking him off wearing his jersey. Oh, yes. Yes, I did see that. Great tattoo. All-time. Great tattoo. Hall of, Hall of, tattoo Hall of Fame. Agreed. Um, yeah, Trent Brown, he's played like one game this year. He's he's had it rough. But – um. I mean, if we can get the rest of our offensive line back, I think Richie Incognito is playing this week, which would be huge because he hasn't played since week two, I believe. Um, so that would be a huge – Sorry. yeah, the, bully, the big bully Richie. That would be great to get him back. Um, but, I mean, yeah, one of our cornerbacks, starting quarterback, Damon, Ar Damon Arnett is out. Uh, Jonathan Abram is also out, one of our best defensive players. So I'm a little worried. I'm not too worried about um, Tom Brady running up the score on us. Um, 
I think our defense is capable, especially after seeing what we did second half against Kansas City last week. But I'm a, I'm a little worried about that offensive line. We'll see in the next coming days, though. Just looking at this game, I would not at all be surprised if it gets moved to Monday or Tuesday. And that's, I think, the clear reason I read this morning on why it got flexed out of prime time. Because just in hindsight, this is a really good matchup. Obviously, the NFL is going to put Tom Brady on the big stage any chance he gets. But just moving it to the 3 o'clock window gives them flexibility to move it to Monday or Tuesday now, which I feel like if the COVID results don't get better, especially for the Raiders' offensive line, that it would not surprise me at all. But let's say even when this game does happen, I think both both teams are going to try and really run the ball well. Ronald Jones had three consecutive 100-yard performances. He's turned the corner a lot better than I would. I thought for sure that Fournette was going to take over that offense by week two or three. But Fournette's missed the last couple of games, and Ronald Jones has taken off. On the other side, we know how good Josh Jacobs is. Um, snubbed for Rookie of the Year last year. Even though Kyler Murray was good, Josh Jacobs should have won that award. But both teams have such good running offenses. I think that's what they're trying to make their mark. And it's tough for me to pick a side. I know it's the Lions four and a half in favor of the Buccaneers. I would not have a problem seeing the Raiders cover that. Um, it, should, it should definitely be a good one. That's my over, overall analysis of that. Right, and we, we know how much um, getting Henry Ruggs back means to that offense. I mean, they put up 42, I believe, on the Chiefs last week. Um, it's It really just opens up the whole offense for other guys like Waller and Aguilar and uh, even like Hunter Renfro. So if they can get that offensive line back, I, I do like the Raiders in this game. Um, but yeah, Tampa's a little unpredictable. They just destroyed Green Bay last week. Ronald Jones has been outstanding. And uh, yeah, it should be a great game if, uh, if that offensive line has negative. I wanted, to right. say, I wanted to say something about Ruggs real quick. He has not had the rookie numbers that other receivers like CeeDee Lamb and Justin Jefferson has. But like we saw, you mentioned against the Chiefs, just him being on the field is a difference for that offense because Ruggs only had, I believe, it was one or two catches. I know he had the, the long ball touchdown, but outside of that, I, I don't think he had another catch. But just the fact that he's there and running the deep route forces the defense to pay such close attention to him and have to keep someone over the top that it opens up plenty of routes underneath for guys like Waller or Aguilar or anyone else on that offense. So – as long as the dude stays healthy, he's going to start to put up those numbers. But don't don't discredit how good of a player he is just because he doesn't have the numbers yet, like guys like C.D. or Claypool or Jefferson. Also, on the topic of Bucks Raiders, um, the Buccaneers just signed Antonio Brown. That's kind of crazy. It's definitely do, different do, from where we were a couple of days ago. Sorry, I'll let you finish. No, I just I – just, so he's he's had an eight game suspension, right? So I don't know if he's eligible for their game next week. I'm not sure who they play, but I mean it's just kind of crazy to me. Obviously, I I don't like Antonio Brown. He kind of screwed the Raiders over, you know, through a fit. Um, he screwed got his eight game suspension. Yeah, he screwed the. He he didn't want to go to Buffalo. He refused What's to go to wrong? Buffalo. What's wrong with Buffalo? The dude just I, wants to play with Tom Brady. No, Josh Allen. Yeah, that, that's 
because didn't he go to the Patriots like week two and he he caught a touchdown like without any practice or anything? Yeah, he just fit right into that offense. But I mean, it's just back when he was on the Raiders, it was like everything happened so fast in the span of like a few weeks, where it was like everything was normal, and then it was like the helmet thing, calling Mike Mayock a cracker, and then he's gone. And now it's like, I didn't think he would be back this year. Um, It feels kind of weird that he's back. Um, And already with Evans and Godwin, it's going to be interesting to see. And on Gronkowski too, Gronkowski stinks. But it'll be be fun to see how they incorporate him into the offense and if he becomes maybe possibly their top receiver. Yeah, with Tom Brady – with Tom Brady, LaShawn McCoy, Gronkowski, and Antonio Brown, they're essentially just putting it out of the 2014 All-Pro team down at Tampa Bay. Yeah, I mean, they, they definitely have – I mean, on paper, this team is insanely talented. Um, they have a lot of different options. They still are young at – they still have a like Tristan Wirfs. They're still young on the offensive line. Their secondary is still young, um, but they definitely have the talent overall in their roster to not only win the division, which they most likely will, but to really compete for a Super Bowl or an NFC Championship. It's definitely a different development than where we at on Wednesday when the news first broke about Antonio Brown and the potential in Seattle. And it, it, didn't, it didn't even cross my mind when the fact that they were talking about Antonio Brown looking at teams that, hey, he probably wants to go to Tampa Bay. I know it was brought up back in, like, March, and Bruce Arians just dismissed it right away. So, in Seattle, had been a team kind of talked about going after him all this time. So, I figured when the news broke on Wednesday, okay, yeah, it's a lock. He's going to Seattle. Picked him up in fantasy right away. So, this was definitely not something I, I, I thought of when he signed that later, earlier, earlier today. But... Like I said, as someone who just picked him up in fantasy, I really hope he reverses with old form. I think it's not going to be anywhere near the same just because of the fact that, one, he's not going to get the same amount of targets as he did as wide receiver one in Pittsburgh. But also the dude hasn't played in over a year. So although he's eligible to play in two weeks, we'll see how in, in good of game shape he actually is in. I know – We've seen videos from practicing with different QBs like Russell Wilson and guys like that over the past months, but it's just not the same as actually playing in a game. So we'll see how ready to go he is when his suspension is up, and we'll see if Tim Bay actually activates him here in a few weeks. Now, as as talented as he is, and, you know, we you say, like, oh, he has a good relationship with Tom Brady, he really wants to play with Tom Brady, could getting Antonio Brown – actually hurt the Buccaneers in a sense where, like, it could create locker room issues or, you know, him not maybe not getting as many targets as he might think he might get. Could that, like, become a distraction? Because, like, when he was on the Raiders, it really just became a huge distraction for the whole team, and that was all the media talked about when it came to the Raiders. So could this potentially, do you think, become a bad thing for the Buccaneers? I do think with the target issues, that is a great point, especially with all the weapons they have. They have three – they have a three running back deep core with 
uh, Ronald Jones, Leonard Fournette, and LaShawn McCoy that are very good to go along with all the receivers and tight ends they have. Targets are going to be an issue. I did see, though, a couple rumors on Twitter. Obviously, we know Twitter. Who knows how, you know, credible the source can be. But I did say, I did see that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were possibly shopping uh, Mike Evans. And one of the teams interested was the Green Bay Packers. Honestly, I thought that was I would be really surprised to see Mike Evans on the move. Um, I think there's even more legitimacy to the Julio Jones rumors just because the Falcons seem like they don't really have a direction at this point in time. They're kind of stuck in bad team with, with still the same pieces from their last, their last title run. So that's why the Julio thing wouldn't surprise me. Mike Evans does, though, because this is a team that is constructed to win now and trading away a guy like that, although he's not putting up the numbers like he usually does this year, um, that doesn't totally make sense for me to trade Mike Evans away. Now, regarding Antonio Brown, any any normal person would be like, okay, this is one of my last chances. I cannot afford to go here and cause a distraction. The problem is we're talking about Antonio Brown, the dude likely has CTE. So you never know what you're going to get out of him, which is why, like you said, it would not surprise me at all if he goes there and just gets pissed when he only has six targets in his first game. So, like a normal NFL player, I'd say don't worry about it, but it's definitely going to be interesting. Like you said, he's it's not going to be this, the same circumstances when he was in Pittsburgh. So, I definitely, if, if it goes well, this has the potential to put Tampa Bay over the top just because how good that, that offense is. And their defense is good as well. The defense doesn't even have to play well. They are anyway. But... It'll be interesting for sure. It's, it's, it kind of surprised me that Bruce Arians would want something like that, but if it all goes to plan, they'll be looked at as geniuses for it. Agreed. All right, for the next game we have, the next big game we have on the slate is an NFC South division matchup between the Carolina Panthers and the New Orleans Saints. Teddy Bridgewater is back in New Orleans where he subbed in for Drew Brees for five games. And went five and zero. This is a big revenge game for Teddy Bridgewater. I just want to give a ton of credit. I know you're talking about Bridgewater. Give a ton of credit to Matt Rule and how he's done with that team. I don't think any of us thought that Carolina would have only had one loss when Christian McCaffrey went down and one loss since then. And it really just how Matt Rule has used Mike Davis in that system and how they've kind of used shorter routes playing to Teddy Bridgewater's strength to get guys like like DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson open stuff like that where he's kind of brought his own look to the offense and really made guys like Teddy Bridgewater play well not saying that Teddy Bridgewater is a bad quarterback we just know that Teddy Bridgewater has flaws and I think that in Carolina they've they've done a pretty good job of limiting those flaws just like how last year in New Orleans they were you guys they were able to you guys use guys like Michael Thomas slant route king which is why I work for Teddy Bridgewater. And they've kind of done that again in Carolina this year. We know that Teddy Bridgewater is not a guy that's going to throw it 60 yards downfield all game long. So I don't think any of us thought that Carolina would be 500 right now, but major credit, major credit to them because this was a team that some people even thought at the beginning, like, yeah, they just signed Teddy Bridgewater, but this could be a team that's terrible enough to where they end up picking Trevor Lawrence, and it doesn't look like that that's going to happen now. 
Right. I, I like that point you made about Matt Rule. Um, we saw him at Baylor. We saw him take Temple, uh, make Temple a ranked team, get some uh, big games on AB. We even saw him get college game day on ABC. Uh, he went over to Baylor, turned them into a um, turned them into a Big Twelve powerhouse for a couple years there. Um, last year they challenged Oklahoma. We're a few plays away from. Uh, a big 12 championship. And now you see him in Carolina, like you said, at three and three, um, they pulled a few wins out against like the chargers and the Cardinals that we really didn't expect them to, especially without McCaffrey. And if they can somehow pull a win out of their ass here, looking down at their schedule, um, they definitely have enough winnable games to a point where they could make the playoffs, especially with um, seven seeds this year. So I think that's very impressive um, what they've done to start the season. Um, and I believe McCaffrey is eligible to come off IR uh, now. I think he is likely to next week and they play Atlanta. So that'll be good to uh, a good game to incorporate him back into the offense. And uh, the, yeah, the Saints on the Saints side, they've really uh, not been what we expected. They started off with a great game against Tampa week one, um, then losing back-to-back games against the Raiders and the Packers. We also saw them struggle with the Chargers last week, a game that the Chargers probably should have won. And uh, if they make that two again a regulation, New Orleans is two and three now. But back to your point. Right. Um, so I actually do like the Panthers to cover in this game. It's – I'm seeing uh, Saints minus seven. Um, so I I think that'll be a good game. Good game to watch. Uh, also another 12 o'clock game along with Titan Steelers. All right. Now, for my point about the Saints is that the Saints, we all know, have struggled, especially Drew Brees. We've seen ever since he got the thumb injury against the Rams last season – Drew Brees has really struggled throwing the ball deep. And we, with that, we've seen the emergence of Michael Thomas. But this year alone, especially without having Michael Thomas, and in this game without having Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders, his two top receivers at home, I do think this is a game the Saints will struggle. And I do think Carolina, this is a perfect game for them to make a statement win and kind of push themselves into a playoff conversation, especially with the extra spot this year in the NFL or uh, playoff format. I think Kamara's workload is, is going to be insane. Like, let's just talk about that. He's already been great this year. Like, I think it could go to a new level this week with how much they'll use him. Or if, if not Kamara, they'll use Latavius Murray. I think they're going to lean heavily on those two all game long without the top two receivers. Traquan Smith isn't terrible, but he's not a wide receiver one. So that's why I really think they'll lean on the running backs. I honestly was surprised. I know we're going to get into bets here in a little bit that the spread was was seven points in favor of New Orleans. Um, I know New Orleans over the past bunch of years has, has kind of beaten up on Carolina, but I, I honestly was surprised to see that they gave it a seven-point seven point favorite in favor of New Orleans. Um Carolina is three and three, and New Orleans is three and two, but kind of a bad three and two. Like I don't think any of us really feel good about about the Saints at this point. 
they we all know they can get on a roll, but I don't think any of us feel good about them right now. Agreed. Now the uh, recently flexed primetime game between the five and zero Seattle Seahawks and the four and two Arizona Cardinals. Arizona Cardinals are in a short week, six days rest, but at home against Seattle, who's off a bye. Russell Wilson, from what we've seen, especially with MVP caliber quarterbacks last week struggling, Russell Wilson right now looks like the favored MVP candidate. Yeah, I don't think calling Russell Wilson the, um, the favorite to win MVP is a unfair statement at all. The dude's never had an MVP vote in his career, and I think this is the year where, where he'll finally get that MVP vote, if not win the whole thing altogether. Um, we all know what Russ cooked, but he's just been insane. I mean, his worst performance was against the Vikings, and that wasn't even a bad performance. It was still good enough to win them the game. They're 5-1, they're 4-1 and one, they're four and one against the spread, and – Although Arizona has been has been good this year, I mean, we all knew with Hopkins that that offense was going to be even better. But I don't necessarily thought we were ready to they were ready to take that next step yet. But here they are at four and two, and I think we I think we brought up a second with Carolina having a chance to make a statement. I think it's even bigger for Arizona here because we see them at four and two, and it's like, okay, is this just kind of they took advantage of some opportunities on the schedule to grab wins, and aren't going to win these divisional matchups or is this Arizona team for real and they show everyone on national TV that they're here to play now and get a win over Seattle at home. So that's kind of what I've been going back and forth with all week. I think the line shows it's a three and a half point Seattle favorite. So this is going to be a close one. And it's just, it's just tough for me to choose. I've gone back and forth. Yeah. Right. I, I like your point about how this is kind of like a prove it game for the Cardinals um, the last time we taught, saw Seattle, they uh, they had that game against the Vikings. Uh, it was they, they were at home. Sunday uh, night football, yeah, yeah. This and, is Seattle's uh, third Sunday night football game of the year already. Yeah, that that's pretty crazy. Um, but we saw them down. We saw that we we all know the Dalvin Cook fourth down couldn't pick it up. Would have ended the game controversy on that call by Mike Zimmer but we then saw Russell Wilson go 95 yards um really just making an MVP statement there and winning the game um just Russ doing his thing so obviously Seattle at 5-0 and they are leading the NFC right now but they do have lots of holes um, there are lots of questions with them especially almost losing that game at home to the Minnesota Vikings. And the Cardinals coming off two blowout wins against a couple bad teams. We have seen their defense has improved. Um, They've only let up 20 points combined in the past two weeks. But I honestly do not think that this Cardinals team is ready for a game with this level of pressure. Um, I like Kyler Murray a lot. I just don't see that defense holding up at all against Seattle. And uh, I I don't think uh, Arizona is there just yet. I think Seattle wins this pretty easily on Sunday Night Football. A point I do want to make is that we even saw this during the Cowboys game that even though Arizona's defense that is not that good does do a good job preventing the big play. And we know with 
the weapon Seal has with DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and Russell Wilson having one of, if not the most accurate deep ball in all football. If if the Arizona Cardinals can continue to stop that big play on defense, I think Arizona does have a shot to win this football game at home. It's, 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 I know I said this right, I've been going back and forth. If you think about it, Arizona really should be 5 and 1 right now. There really was no excuse for them to lose at home to the Detroit Lions a couple weeks ago. I kind of get why they lost Carolina on the road, because as we talked about it, Carolina is not a bad football team, but really Arizona should have beat Detroit at home. I know Stafford's a good quarterback for Detroit, but just Arizona overall is a better team than Detroit is. So really, Arizona could be 5 and 1 right now, but I think until unproven otherwise, which is how good Seattle has been this season. I think I'm going to have to pick Seattle's game. And think about it. Seattle's 5-0. and They haven't even gotten the full Jamal Adams experience yet. He's been hurt for most of the year. So, if Seattle's secondary has been pretty awful, once they get him back, they're just going to take it to a new level. Yeah. All right. And then the last NFL football game we're going to talk about this week, the Monday night football game between the Bears and Rams. I think this is the third straight year the Bears and Rams have been flexed to a primetime game. Very good matchup. The Rams very much in the playoff hunt. And the Bears leading the NFC North. We've said for four or five straight weeks now that the Bears are frauds and they keep proving me as, as long with a lot of other people wrong. At some point, they have to lose, right? There's no way that – the way the Bears are playing now can be sustained. Like, their offense just flat out is 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 not good at all. Like, it's just not. Nick Nick Foles hasn't been bad. He just hasn't been good is the, is the way to put it. And so, I know they're 5-1. and one. I just I just have a feeling that it's not going to be sustainable right now. And I think with a team like the Rams, who has have looked as good as they have, that as long as the Rams can somewhat effectively move the ball on offense – that that defense will just shut down Chicago. And I think this could totally be a low-scoring game that goes in favor of the LA Rams. Yeah, and one stat that really stood out to me um, about this Bears team is they are last, dead last in the league in time of possession. So their defense has really been on the field a lot this season, and they've still just continued to shut teams down. Um, they held that good Carolina defense to under 20 points. They held Tampa to under 20 points. Um, even in their loss to the Colts, held them under 20 points. So this defense has really stepped it up. Guys like Kyle Fuller having outstanding years, and they're just playing really well as a unit. There's lots of questions with their offense. Um, Nick Foles hasn't been terrible, but he has made some questionable throws. Um, their running game really hasn't been able to get it going all year. Um, and I, in this game particularly, I do like the Rams. I think this is one of the Bears, probably their toughest matchup of the year thus far, um, going to Los Angeles. Um, the Rams have really surprised a lot of people, I think. Um, they did uh, regress a little bit last year. Um, missing the playoffs, even though they did finish nine and seven. Um, but they've, they have had a couple pretty big wins this year that have surprised some people. Um, although it was the Cowboys and the Eagles, um, at the time, 
a lot of people had them losing to Dallas, and then they went and blew out Philly on the road. A healthy Eagles team at that. And, uh, yeah, I, I think the Rams, although they've lost a couple games to um, the Bills and the 49ers, I think the Rams are rightfully favored in this game. And if the Bears can go on the road and win this game and prove us wrong, I think they have a legit shot to win the division. Um, and I think they're legit contenders if they can pull this one out. I want to go yeah. back to my, I want to go back go to my comment real quick about um, kind of like one of the Bears finally going to be the frauds we think they are. I like what you said. If if the Bears win this one, then I think I will start to take them seriously because going on the road is not and winning and playing against a four and two team is not easy. But either way, you said it. This is probably their hardest matchup of the year so far, and it does not get any easier for Chicago. After this week against the Rams. They play New Orleans, which on paper is a very good team. And New Orleans at that point could potentially have Michael Thomas back. And then they play undefeated Titans. Minnesota, which although Minnesota's one and five, they lost to Seattle by one and Tennessee by one. So that's, that's not, I wouldn't say, a, just an easy win for Chicago. And then they get the Packers after that. So that's, that's like five straight tough ones for Chicago. So it's, it's going it's to be make or break time here. We're really going to see coming up. Yeah, I feel like we're really going to see what this Chicago football team is going to be made out starting this week throughout the rest of the season. The one point I do want to make, the Rams offense has been struggling the last couple of weeks. They did not play that well against the 49ers. They struggled against the Giants. and Even the week before that, they struggled in the first half against the Bills, and the Bills defense has not been that good this year. So, when I'm watching this game on Monday night, I'm expecting a big game out of the Bears secondary. I'm talking uh, Kyle Fuller, Buster Screen, Eddie Jackson. I'm expecting big games out of the secondary to stop the passing game because this year the Rams have just not been able to get the run game going. Um, Daryl Henderson and what's the other guy's name? I forget the other guy's name. He's more the power back. Malcolm Brown and Cam Malcolm Akers. Brown. There, yeah, Malcolm Brown and Cam Akers. Those guys have been kind of a disappointment so far this year. They have not been able to get the run game going. I feel like, though, this is going to be a good defensive matchup, especially when you look at the Rams side when they have, you know, the front seven, especially that defensive line of Aaron Donald and Leonard Floyd, the former Chicago Bear. I feel like this is going to be a low-scoring game, and – who knows what we're going to see out of it. I do like Chicago in this game. Now we're going to get into our best bets of the week. We're all going to pick games throughout the sports realm, what games we think are going to happen. Colin, why don't you go ahead and start us with your best bets of this week? All right. So first pick of the week, this might anger some folks out there. I'm going to go against our good friend, uh, Boo Dugan's guillotine, guillotine uh, guarantee of the week. He had Cincy plus three and a half. I'm going to go against that. I'm taking SMU. The line I saw was actually minus two and a half, and that's the one I was uh, picking on. So I do have Southern Methodist uh, minus two and a half against Cincinnati. SMU is a really good team. Um 
they kind of flown under the radar this year. They're in the uh, AAC. Um, they've had some close wins. They had a game-winning field goal against Memphis. Cincinnati is the ninth-ranked team in the country, which also probably surprises a lot of people. Um, they had a big test against Army in week two, and they took care of them pretty easily. So although this game probably won't get much national attention or recognition, it is a big game. It's a ranked matchup, and I think SMU is going to come out on top. I have them covering. Um, another game is maybe the game of the week, Minnesota-Michigan. Big Ten is back. I got Minnesota plus three and a half against Michigan. Um, I'm not too confident in Michigan's offense. Uh, I, I do – with Minnesota, I have a quarterback that I'm confident in. I have a top receiver, one of the best receivers in the country, um, and they're at home. I, I think Minnesota will not only cover, but I do have them winning this game. So that's my second pick. My third pick, I have uh, – it's – Straight out of the Mountain West, Utah State, Boise State. I'm taking the over on this. It's 52-and-a-half. Mountain West, I'm telling you, late-night games. I love the Mountain West because it's like you finish your primetime game of the day, and then it's like, oh, shit, San Diego State and Boise are playing at 930. So I think this one's going to – you love it. I think this one's going to go over – um, you know, Utah State, they don't have Jordan Love this year, but I think them, I think they're going to put up some points. Boise State, year in and year out, it's an outstanding program. Um, I got the over in that one. I have uh, my fourth pick, Michigan State Rutgers. This is an absolute shit show, I'm telling you. Rutgers is awful, one of the worst probably the worst power five team in the country and Michigan state has really regressed over the past few years. They no longer have Mark D'Antoni. Um, I got the under 44 and a half here. I don't think many points are going to be scored, especially by Rutgers. And uh, I don't see Michigan state putting up too many points. So I'm taking the under on this one, 44 and a half. And then my last pick, I kind of hinted at this earlier um, Seahawks minus three and a half against the Cardinals on Sunday night football. I'm taking the Seahawks on that. I think they're going to cover the three and a half. Um, I don't mean to discredit the Cardinals at all, but I really haven't. I, I need them. I need to see them prove themselves first before I can pick them against Seattle in a, on a big stage like this. So before I can see that from a young team like that, I'm going to take Seattle minus three and a half. I like those picks. Ben, let's hear your picks for this week. All righty. So first one I'm going to start off with, I kind of mentioned this earlier when we were going over the Carolina-New Orleans game, um, but I want to talk about it a little bit more. So New Orleans is favored by seven. I'm going to take Carolina to cover that one. Um, I still think New Orleans is going to come out and win the game, but I, if I had to put money in, I'm going to pick Carolina to cover there. Carolina doesn't have to deal with the normal environment of playing in the loud Mercedes-Benz Superdome. And just plus the fact that Carolina has been so much more improved overall this year and New Orleans hasn't. I think this, this may not be one that Carolina wins, 
but I definitely think that seven points is a little bit generous, um, especially in a match with two teams with re relatively similar records at this point in time. So my first one there is picking Carolina to cover. Um, my second one is going to be a little bit of an upset. And so for this weekend, one of the other new games, we have Cleveland favored by three. I'm actually going to take Cincinnati on the upset here. I think it was a close matchup when they played in week two. Cleveland came out with a five-point win. This time around, Cleveland does not have Nick Chubb. I know Kareem Hunt has still been playing well. But in that week two matchup, both Chubb and Hunt went off and both had touchdowns and played really, really well. And I think Cincinnati has pieces. They just haven't kind of had been able to put it together. I know they do have a win against Jacksonville. But outside of that, they just haven't really been able to put it together. I think this time around in Cincinnati and Cleveland coming off a terrible loss last week to Pittsburgh, I think still is not playing great football at the moment. So I think Cincinnati takes advantage of that. They're at home. And we already saw that this has the potential to be close in week two. I think Cincinnati being three-point underdogs is a, is a pretty decent bet to pick them to upset. So that's going to be my second one, taking well, Cincinnati there. Were you to say something? Oh, I said I love that. I think I think that one is is not one that a lot of people are really gonna think about, but I like that. I like the potential there. So that's where I that's where I got that one from. And then my last one, my third one, going all NFL here for this week. The over under on the Dallas Washington game is forty seven and a half. I'm gonna take the under on that one. I know life's too short to pick the under, just the fact that though both teams, Dallas 2-4, Washington 1-5. I think that Dallas are going to kind of get out to maybe an early lead, and then they're just going to run the ball. Um, I don't see a whole lot of points getting scored here. We already know Washington has not been on offensive attack this year. So I think I think what happens in this game for Dallas is they'll probably grab maybe a one or two touchdown lead early. It could maybe stay close, but I think we'll see Dallas kind of try to run the ball. I don't, I don't see any way this turns into a shootout. So I think 47 and a half taking the under on that one isn't isn't a bad bet. So that's gonna be be my third one. But overall, I think this weekend, I know for my bets, I just talked talked football. I think we have a chance at some really really good games. I know we talked about a bunch in our last thing, but it, it it definitely should be interesting. I like I like the two primetime games this week, so I'm looking forward to it for sure. I guess what you're yeah. talking about, Donovan. And now my best bets of the week. I have five best bets of the week. My first one is coming straight out of the SEC. Kentucky and Missouri. Missouri is at home. I do like Kentucky at this game. I'm looking at the line right now. Minus three and a half Kentucky. Kentucky has played not great, but they have played okay this year. Missouri their one win against is LSU this year. LSU is not a good football team. I like Kentucky a lot in this game. I think they can win by two or more touchdowns. I think three and a half is way too low for this line. I love Kentucky. My next game, straight real out quick, of the big quick, 10. Real quick, real quick. Before we get into that one, as a student at the University of Missouri, I think the saying that Kentucky wins by a couple of touchdowns is – is a little bit bold, but um, I don't have a problem with speaking to Kentucky to win that game. Connor Blades like had an outstanding performance against LSU with the freshman quarterback for Missouri. So I think saying that Kentucky wins by by multiple touchdowns may be a little bold. Little bold. 
I think I think we saw that Mizzou has the ability to put up points, but I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. I just I just wanted to say something considering it's my my school. <laughs> I I get that. I understand. I just have a good feeling about Kentucky this week. Now, my next game out of the Big Ten, I hinted at this a little earlier. I think someone else also had it. Minnesota, Michigan. I love my Golden Gophers in this game. Plus three. I honestly think the wrong team is favored in this game. Minnesota is at home, and they're an underdog against Jim Harbaugh, which Say what you want. I think he's underperformed as a coach at Michigan. I love Minnesota in this game. Minnesota returning all of their offensive linemen. Their quarterback is an underrated quarterback. I feel like he has a chance to be a stud this year and a possible, you know, Heisman winner. Now, out of the NFL quarterback this year for yeah, I was I thought it's, it was uh, going to be Dylan McCaffrey, but did he sure opt did. out? I didn't think he did. Did he? I'm looking up their depth chart. Give me a second. Okay. Well, that I, pick in, is in, that pick is with Dylan as quarterback. Oh, it's Joe Milton is their starting Joe quarterback. Milton. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I'm still going to ride my Golden Gophers. I feel like – I still feel as though the wrong team is favored. Um, I'm now going to the NFL. And my first pick out is the NFL is the Buffalo Bills and the New York Jets. The New York Jets, we can all agree, the worst team in football this year. Buffalo minus 10. Buffalo has not played good at all the last couple of weeks. But – Minus 10, I think this line should be a lot bigger. I think Buffalo wins by more than two touchdowns. I feel like this is going to be a get-right game for the Bills. They're going to figure out a couple things with their defense, with their offense, and this is where they're going to start picking it up and looking a lot better starting this week. Now, the next game, I'm going against what Ben said. I'm going Browns minus three against the Bengals. Browns beat the Bengals earlier this season. The Browns look terrible just as everyone started to like the Cleveland Browns. They played the Pittsburgh Steelers, major letdown. I feel as though they're going to turn this around. They're going to look better this week. Baker, I'm not sure if he's still 100% healthy, but – I feel as though he's going to play better this week. The Bengals are without Joe Mixon. I think that is a big, big loss for the Bengals. I feel as though the Browns can win by three or more points. And my last game this week, we also hinted at earlier, the Carolina Panthers. I love the plus seven. New Orleans has, I think, is one of the most overrated teams this year in the NFL. They have no wide receivers this week without Michael Thomas, without Emmanuel Sanders. They rely heavily on the run. I think Carolina can stop the run and be able to score on offense. I like Carolina to cover, possibly win this football game. I, I like that pick. And I also just wanted to make a point of something I noticed tonight. While we're on this topic of uh, 
our picks. I was watching some college football tonight. And two games that caught my attention was one that Wisconsin-Illinois game. Um, the line on that, the over-under was 51 and a half. And, of course, uh, 45-7, it hit 52. Um, so, we got a we got a you took the under on that? I bet the under. Wow. Oh, wow. Life's too short, man. I know. I so know. We, got a, we got a half point over on that game. The other game I was watching was um, the Raging Cajuns of Lafayette were playing the UAB Blazers. And uh, this game was 24-20. It looked as if uh, – so picture this. It's 24-20 Lafayette. They pin them down at the five-yard line. UAB has the ball. They have 95 yards to go in the span of a minute. And, you know, they're under a lot of pressure. Quarterback throws an interception, right? The line, the over-under on this game is 50-and-a-half. We're sitting at 44 right now. And this guy picks it off, takes it to the one-yard line, is literally a yard away from hitting the over. Um, I thought that was pretty crazy looking at it afterwards. Vegas is just insane. Vegas, Vegas they nailed Vegas has been doing very well. Every week I watch football. Every week I watch football. There's at least three games where I'm like, holy shit, Vegas nailed it. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the segment that Scott Bentall with ESPN does, who I, I love SCP. I, I love his, his show on Sports Center. I think he's a really good really good broadcaster but anyway his segment on um, bad beats i didn't get to see i didn't watch the show at all tonight but i'd have to guess that that those instances were on uh, were on bad beats because stuff like that happens every single week vegas is just it's just mind-blowing vegas has been doing very well since off of quarantine and i think on that note it's going to wrap up our show i want to thank you for our viewers for listening to our first show of the Tub Talks Sports Podcast. I want to thank Colin and Ben for joining me on this fabulous night. Thank you for viewers and have a wonderful night.